0: And go to Galatians chapter 6 this morning. Galatians chapter 6. If you need a Bible, there should be some hardback black ones there in the chairs around you. You can grab one of those and follow along as well. And uh, so this is the, the final installment in our series through the book of Galatians. We've been studying the, whole, the book of Galatians this whole new year, just walking through it verse by verse, learning about the gospel. What does it mean? What is it? How does it apply to our lives? And just allowing God to, to lead us deeper into the gospel life through that, and so today is the capstone. It's the last few verses, and thankfully, if you've missed some of the sermons along the way, or maybe you're new to our church, and this is your first or second time here, um, Paul's going to do you a favor this morning. He's going to summarize the whole book of Galatians in these last couple verses, okay? So he's just going to give it all to you right here at the end, and you can get caught up, and you'll be good to go, okay? So we're going to be Galatians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18 this morning. So, in case you were unaware, just as a public service announcement today, um, tomorrow night is the final game of the big dance. March Madness Men's Championship, y'all are not nearly excited about this as I am, is ending tomorrow night, all right, championship game. My wife is like, praise the Lord, we've been watching too much basketball at our house, so uh, she's ready for it to be over, but... Tomorrow night's the big game, and uh, we've got Vertical Men night tomorrow night. So men, any of you who want to come, you're invited to come, whether you did the bracket challenge or not. Uh, we're going to have a party at the Brooks' house, watch the game, eat some food, hang out. And so if you want to come to that, please let us know. We'll get you the address. I'd love for you to be a part of that. But for the last couple of years, our Vertical Men ministry here at Harvest, we've been doing this bracket challenge where everybody fills out the brackets, and we all put it into uh, you know online, and we track it and the whole thing. At the beginning of the, of the season, or the, the tournament rather, Everybody had big hopes for their picks, right? Everybody was talking smack and, like, they thought they had the bracket and it was looking good. And then by the end of the Elite Eight round, not even the final four, by the end of the Elite Eight round, not a single bracket in our entire church challenge had even one team left. They were all wiped out, man. It was, it was, was, they're gone. We had nothing left. And so tomorrow night's just going to be a fun night just together and hanging out, even though none of us have a winner in the hunt tomorrow night from the brackets, but, um, that's just a, a small example that reminded me this week that in our flesh, in our humanity, we really have nothing to boast about, right? Like, we can't even pick who's going to win a basketball game, <laughs> more or less, like, control our own lives or decide what's going to happen next or look to the future or, like, we, we don't have much to offer, Right? And Paul is going to remind us of that this morning. He's going to push in on that this morning that we should not be boasting in our flesh. And that word boast is so important as he, it's kind of the center of this text. I wanted to kind of define that this morning because we use it in lots of different ways today in our culture. But biblically speaking, boast means to make much of something. To take something and kind of exalt it up and make a big deal out of it. Make like this is the most important thing. One of, the, one of the definitions that stuck with me the most this week is to boast means to glory in something. That word glory is a really important word around our church. We take it very seriously. And when you think about it like that, to boast in something is to take glory in something. In other words, to say that this thing is where I find my value. This is the thing that, where I find my worth and my identity and my purpose. This thing is the most important thing this is what I glory in that's what it means to boast when we think about it like that boasting takes on a whole new level of meaning and so it begs from us this morning this question what am I boasting in what am I boasting in and so Paul's going to talk to us here look at verse 11 He says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that you may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision, circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So, Paul's kind of summarizing the whole book here. So I'm just going to pull three main ideas out of this summary today, okay? Number one is this. Do not boast in the flesh. Do not boast in the flesh. He starts off in verse 11 with this interesting phrase. He says, see with what large letters I am writing with my own hands. Now, to give you some context for that, most of the time, Paul did not write his letters himself. He would dictate them to like a scribe or a secretary, and someone else would actually write them out for him. Okay? But it was his habit at the end of each letter that he would take the quill himself and he would sign the letter at the end, right? Just kind of like authenticate it, like this is from me, here's my signature. He might even like write a few like words of salutation at the end, but that was about it. But in this letter, he doesn't just sign it, he doesn't just say, hey, thanks for reading. He gives several sentences of explanation, kind of giving again this recap of his argument in his own handwriting. And he says, look at with what large letters... I am writing to you. Now, there's lots of theories on why he's using large letters here. He doesn't really tell us exactly. Some say it's because he just wasn't as good of a a writer as the the scribe, and so it just happened to be bigger and sloppier than the other guy. Um, Some think, but I don't think he would have pointed that out. That seems kind of weird. And some say it's because he had the the poor eyesight thing going on, right? Like, they think his eyes were bad, so we had to write in big letters. Again, I don't know if you point that out. I think what his point here is, like, listen, I've got one more opportunity, one more chance to tell you the important message of the gospel, and so I'm going to bold this for you. Like today, if we were doing it, we would like put it in bold or underline. They didn't have that back; like you couldn't like do that. So he's like, "I'm just going to do big letters." Right? I'm just going to like write really big, so he's like, you get this is the most important thing. And then he goes on. He says, "Those who want to make a good showing in the flesh," he's pointing back to that group. He's been addressing the whole letter, right? Those Judaizers, those false teachers that were trying to add things to the gospel. He's saying they are boasting in the flesh. They're focused on the outward appearance. They're focused on man's approval. They're focused on what other people see and think about them. He says that people who are, who are boasting in the flesh, they would force you to be circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. In other words, what he's saying here is like, they don't really care about you. They just want to add you to their head count, Right? They want to prove themselves, they want to prove their religion, they want to say, hey God, look at me, look how great I am. I got all these people to follow your law. I got all these people, like, this is my group. Look at how I grew this thing. And they're trying to legitimize themselves and their faith through getting other people to adhere to the same religious practices that they do. He's saying that they would, he would do this to, to make much of themselves. But again, Paul's not buying it. He goes down later in verse 15. He says, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now, I want to take just a moment here because I don't think I've addressed this yet in the series. If you read several of Paul's letters, he hits the circumcision thing a lot, right? And it sounds like he's really down on it. Like, he, like it's like the worst thing. Like, this is a, this horrible practice that they shouldn't be doing. And that's not really Paul's point here, all right? Circumcision was a good thing. It was a God-given thing that he gave to Israel. He told them to do this. It wasn't bad in and of itself. It was supposed to be this outward sign of their inward faith. It was supposed to be a physical reminder that they had a love and a faith for the God of the universe and that they got to have a relationship with him. And it it was a good thing. It was a good reminder to them. It wasn't bad, but it was bad when they made it the main thing. They took this good thing that God had given them, and they made it the main thing. That's the problem. Paul addresses this more in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, where he says that it's not circumcision of the flesh that matters, but the circumcision of the heart that truly matters. It's the internal, not the external, that's most important. Therefore, Paul says, hey, this, this external stuff, it's worth nothing. It's worth nothing if you don't have the heart to back it up, just empty religion, he says the only thing that truly counts is that you are a new creation, now he doesn't go on to explain what that exactly means right here, but he does over in another letter of his, 2 Corinthians 5 17, look at this verse, it says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. So several things in that verse are so important. First of all, he says, those who are in Christ, right? In Christ means that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins and that his grace has changed your heart and changed your life. You are in Christ. You're not trusting in yourself, you're not trusting in religion or the law, or you're trusting in Jesus. You're in Christ. He says, those who are in Christ are a new creation we've been talking about the last couple weeks, right? That, That when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. We're born again of the Holy Spirit, and he makes us into this whole new person. This whole new creation that is following the Lord in faith. He gives us a new heart. And this is an internal thing, an invisible internal miracle that only God can do. No physical surgery is going to achieve this. No outward thing is going to do this. Only God can do this through the Holy Spirit in us. He makes us into a new creation. And then he says, and the old has passed away. Now, this is so important, I think, because in America especially, there is a a flavor, a version of Christianity that people want to grab a hold of that just says, Jesus just comes along to make you a better you. He's just going to shine it up a little bit, kind of do a little bit of a, you know, home remodel, and he's going to make you into a better version of yourself. That is not the gospel. Jesus isn't here to make you a better version of you. He's here to make you a brand new creation. And for that to happen, the old has to die. The old self gets crucified. The old self passes away. That person isn't here anymore. He says, the old has passed away and the new has come. So that he can make us brand new from the inside out. And friends, only God can do that. I can't do that. You can't do that. The church can't do that. No external thing can do that. God can do that. And so therefore, we have absolutely no reason to boast in ourselves. Because we don't do any of it. God does all of it. We need a change of heart, not just a change of flesh. That's what Paul's saying. A couple weeks ago, I was reading um, these kind of news stories, and they had this one kind of just like fun little news story about New York City, and that evidently there's all these fake buildings around New York. There's one specifically I got a picture of. There's this fake townhouse in Brooklyn, New York, and at first glance, when you walk by, it looks like just a normal townhouse from the 1900s, just like all the other ones on the street, right? Right? But in reality, it's actually just a facade. It's just the front. It used to be a real house, but they went in several years ago, and they gutted the whole thing to make room for this subway system vent and fan. And it's the way they release all the fumes from the subway. And it's all hidden behind this facade, this, this what looks like a normal house. So if you were walking down the street, like, that looks like a good, legitimate house. Like, I, I could live there. That's the thing. But in reality it's empty. There's nothing there. No matter how good it looks, there's nothing on the inside. And so if you're looking for a new home, that's going to do you no good, right, That is completely useless to you. That's the boast of the flesh. Maybe it looks good on the outside. Maybe it looks like, hey, I'm following God. I'm this religious person. I'm doing all this good stuff. But on the inside, if it's empty, if there's nothing, if you don't have a heart for Jesus, all that external is just a fake facade. And Paul says it means nothing. And so many people are trusting on that fake facade, that boast of the flesh, to get them to be good with God. They have this mindset that, well, you know, I'm, I'm actually a pretty good person. Like, I look, I see, all, I see these other people around here. Like, I'm actually doing pretty good. Obviously, God's going to be like, all right, you're, you're in. That's, that's enough. Or, you know, I, I do, I give money to charity. I give money to the church at least, you know, once a year. I give something like that. I'm supporting God and his work. Or, you know, I, I went to that one school for years. I did all the religion classes and all the stuff. I did the confirmation thing. I got the little certificate. I, I don't know where it's at now, but it's somewhere. I got the certificate that says, I was confirmed, and so me and God, we're good now. I take Holy Communion every week. I was baptized as a baby. All these things, some of them aren't bad, but here's the thing. They're all external. They're all outward behaviors that if there's nothing on the inside, they mean nothing. They're not getting you anywhere unless you are a new creation through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do all of those things from now to the day you die and they won't mean anything. Now don't get me wrong. Some of those things, again, are fine. Here at Harvest, we practice communion on a regular basis. We do baptism because Jesus gave us both of those. He says they're good acts of worship and we should do them in response to who he is. So we do all of that. But let me just be clear this morning, none of that saves you. None of that completes your salvation. None of that keeps you saved from week to week. Those are all things that we do as acts of worship to Jesus after we have put our faith in Jesus. You know, I was thinking about baptism. Baptism is actually very similar to circumcision in a lot of ways. For the Jews, circumcision was kind of their initiation into the covenant of Abraham, the covenant of God. For us, when you get saved, we baptize you as kind of that initiation into God's new covenant in the family, right? It's a a symbol of the new life that you now have in the Holy Spirit and that baptism of the Holy Spirit that you receive through faith. It's also a statement of faith and obedience, that we are now followers of Jesus, and we're going to worship him and follow him faithfully. We love baptism. We actually have a baptism celebration service coming up at our church in just a month. May 7th, first Sunday in May. We're going to be doing it again. And let me just tell you, if you have been saved, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you have not been baptized yet, you need to be baptized. For all the reasons I just said, you need to do that. And we would love to help you do that. Come see us. We will put you on the lineup. All right? We want to celebrate new life in Jesus Christ. But that baptism, as wonderful as it is, it doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. But it allows you to respond in worship to the one who did. Paul's whole point here is that, listen, faith comes first, and then baptism comes second. Serving God comes second. Communion comes second. Giving, whatever, whatever the, reading, like faith comes first, the external stuff comes second. That's how it's supposed to work. So he says, do not boast in the outward flesh, but the inward heart. Not in the outward flesh, but the inward heart. So, do not boast in the flesh, That's the first thing. Second thing is, boast in the cross. Second summary statement, boast in the cross. In the cross. Back in verses 12-13, he says again, them, he says, they, the false teachers, they desire to have you circumcised so that they can boast in your flesh. So this is really interesting. This points us back to the teaching here that they're doing is the same one from Acts 15, verse 1, where they were teaching then that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. In other words, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. You need faith in Jesus plus these other things. And the first work, they said, it starts with circumcision, and then it continues through the works of the law, obeying God's law. And so Paul, like the entire book here, again, he calls their bluff on this. He says, first of all, that's untrue, and second of all, they don't even believe that. <laughs> they say that, but they can't even possibly believe that themselves because, he says, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. They say this is the way it works, but they know they don't even keep the law themselves. So it can't, be. it can't be that that's what it is. He says the real reason that they're insisting on you doing this religious stuff is so that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They're trying to take the offense out of it. Here's what I mean. Both in this time and in our day and age now, The world that we live in, the world, they like the sentiment of religion. Have you noticed that? Like, they like religion if it is, this is going to make me a better version of me. Or it's going to somehow improve society as a whole. Like, they're good with religion as long as it's just like a, you know, just making things better. And that's why our culture today is so pluralistic and says, no, all the religions are good as long as they're contributing to you and helping you be a better person, then they're all good, right? We'll take all of them. Our world loves the idea of religion. But it hates the cross. It hates the cross because it tells us that we can't be better. That we can't be better by ourselves, on our own. We can't. They hate the cross because It exposes that we are weak and sinful people. They hate the cross because it's not inclusive and tolerant of all these other ways to get to God. They hate the cross because it tells us that even if you are better than your neighbor, you're still not as good as God is. And that's not enough. They hate the cross because it confronts their pride And it tells us that we need humility and repentance. It tells us that we need Jesus. Not just that he's a nice add-on if you want to pick it up, but that you actually need him. They don't like that. And so the same thing is here with these Judaizers, with these false teachers. They're trying to sidestep all that hate, all that persecution, all that pushback on the cross by just adding to it whatever is necessary so these people won't be offended. Right? Yeah, you got to believe in Jesus, but you can also do your thing. You can also still be circumcised and follow the law. That'll, that'll work too. And they just kind of add whatever it is that you want me to add so that you feel good about yourself and you don't have to actually submit to Jesus. But Paul is kind of a contrast to that. He's not avoiding the cross. He's not avoiding... The persecution. He says, "I bear the marks of Jesus on my own body." He's talking about like real physical marks, the scars and the the pains and the the struggles that he has physically now because he's been beaten, because he's been stoned, because he's been lashed, because he has been physically persecuted for this—the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's like, "I didn't back down from it. Even whenever it hurt, I was willing to sacrifice." Jesus sacrificed for me. See, there's a huge difference here. The Judaizers, they were using others to glorify themselves. Paul was using himself to glorify Christ. That's how you know the difference between Christianity and religion. If it's being used to glorify a man or someone else or a group, or that's religion. If it's being used to glorify Christ, that's Christianity. Paul says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, think, I think we miss the gravity of that statement because as Christians today in our world, we've just gotten used to the idea of like, yeah, the cross, yeah. We love the cross. Yeah, yeah, the cross. Right? Like, we sing about it. We... But back in this day, it was not like that. Back in this day, especially for a Jewish person to say that, would have been shocking. The cross was not a fashion statement back then, it wasn't something that you hung on the wall of your house as a nice decoration. It wasn't even a religious symbol yet. The cross was a horrifying image of death. That's all it was. Crucifixion was the most cruel and the most agonizing form of execution ever devised to date at this point in history. The Romans designed it specifically to degrade and to, to humiliate the person as they slowly suffered to death. I want you to imagine the picture Imagine yourself hanging, whipped, naked on a cross with spikes through your hands and your feet while everyone else just walks by mocking you and cursing at you and spitting on you. And you hang there for hours or days as the weight of your body comes down and crushes your lungs until you suffocate to death. That was the cross. The cross was so horrendous. It was not even allowed to be used on Roman citizens. Rome wouldn't even do this to their own people. They reserved this just for their worst enemies. The cross was was horrible. You see, everyone at this time despised the cross. Especially Jews. It was a curse to them. And yet Paul here, he says, I boast I I glorify the cross. And obviously not the the method of the cross or the instrument of the cross. He glorifies the cross because it was on the cross that Christ accomplished what Paul could never do. He boasted it because God did what we couldn't do when Jesus became the perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins and to save us From eternal damnation. He saved us when we couldn't save ourselves. That is the glory of the cross. And this right here, friends, this is why it is impossible to both boast in yourself and boast in the cross at the same time. Because when we could do nothing... To save ourselves. Jesus did everything. On the cross. He did it all. Well, We we didn't do anything. And so we either have to make a choice. We either glorify ourselves. Or we glorify Jesus. But it can't be both. It's not both. That's why Paul says next. He says the world has been crucified to me. And I to the world. Once. You see the cross, for what it really is, once you see the glory of Jesus Christ, nothing that this world has to offer even comes close to the glory of him. There's nothing else this world can offer me that I want more than I want Jesus Christ. I can't There's nothing in this world that I want to boast in more than the cross of Christ, Paul says. It is dead to me and I to it. Now I live for Jesus. Now I live for his glory, not my own. Boast in the cross. I was thinking about this this week and just that experience of, I'm sure you guys have all had this either at work or at school or on a sports team or whatever. Just that infuriating experience of having that glory hog. Right? Like, I thought about like back in school, you know, you always had to, like the group projects. Everyone hated the group projects, right? Like because you, you have like four people, and you know, like three of them are gonna do all the work, and then the fourth person is not gonna do squat, and they're gonna show up at the last minute, and they're gonna write their name on it, and they're gonna be like, oh, look at what this great project we did. You didn't do anything, bro. Like, you did nothing, and yet you get all the glory for it, right? The glory hogs. Or I was thinking, like, you know, you're, you're sitting there at your house. You're having a nice week. You're, you're doing this puzzle. You, you've been spending days on this puzzle. You finally get to the very end, and then one of your kids walks up and grabs the last piece and puts it in. And you're like, what? What are you doing? They're like, look at the puzzle we did. You, we? You put one piece in, one piece. That does not count. It's birthday season at our house right now. Our girls all have spring birthdays. And so my wife is always making these fantastic, fabulous, delicious birthday cakes for our girls. And so if we, if we get to the party and I show up and I'm like, hey, girls, happy birthday. Look at the cake that we made for you. She's going to be like, excuse me? We? I'm like, well, I, I licked the batter off the mixer. Like, that's a thing, right? Like, that's part of, that's contributing, right? So, like, yeah, we, no, no, no. I didn't do anything. She did all of it. And yet, I still get to experience the glorious goodness, chocolate, cakeness of it. It is fantastic. Right? That's us in the cross. We did nothing, Jesus did everything. And yet we still get to experience the glory of Christ and his sacrifice for our sins. And we get to boast in that. That's what Paul says. Nothing else is worthy of it. Only the cross. Do not boast in what you can do, but in what Christ has done. It's not about us. It's not about me and you. It's about what Christ has done for So do not boast in your flesh, boast in the cross, Paul says. And then one more thing, number three, boast in grace. Boast in grace. Verse 16, he says, as for all who walk by this rule. Now the word rule there in the Greek is the same word where we get the word canon. And it basically means like a a standard of measurement, like a measuring rod or measuring stick. It was the, the authority, the standard of authority that they would use to measure things the same word that we use to describe the canon of Scripture, the 66 books of the Bible that God has ordained as his perfect word, right? So he says here, live by the rule or live by the canon. He's not talking about the whole Bible. He's applying that word differently here, specifically to the truth of the cross and the new creation that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. He tells us like, he's telling us, live and walk in in the truth of the gospel. You know, there comes a point where we all have to know and to believe the truth of the gospel. Know and believe. It's both. It's not just one. I have to know and believe that I am a sinner. That I am guilty of sin, both by nature and And by choice, I have rebelled against the God of the universe. I have disobeyed his word. I have violated his laws. And I deserve just punishment and wrath from him. That's all I deserve. And yet, God, out of his love and grace towards us, sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to be born as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To go and stand in our place, for our sin, as a substitute, and say, you know that death that you deserve, I'm going to take that. I'm going to pay that for you, so that you can be forgiven. And he died on the cross, and he went to the grave, and three days later, he rose back to life, we're going to celebrate that soon. And he said, look, I am God, I told you, right, I am God, and if you will put your faith in me, I can forgive you of your sins. I can rescue you from your rebellion. I can give you a whole new life, a whole new creation. If you'll put your faith in me and follow me. That's the gospel. And it all hinges on Jesus and on the cross. The sacrifice on the cross. His perfect sinless blood covering our sinful hearts. Paul says, if you walk by this rule of the gospel, it is to make it the foundation of your life. To make it the authority by which you stand, by which you live, that everything submits to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, all who do that, he calls them the Israel of God. Meaning, the chosen people of God. The the people of faith. Today, that's characterized by the church. All those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and are following after him. He says, they are the ones. And he says, they will receive three things. These are such great, encouraging promises to us. He says, if you put your faith in Jesus, you receive three things. Number one, peace. He says, peace be with you. Peace with God. Because our sin has been paid for and we have been freed from his holy wrath. We no longer have to fear or worry or doubt what's going to happen to us in the future. We can know and we can live in peace. That we are free from all of that because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Number two is mercy. We get mercy from God because we have been forgiven and we have been washed clean of our sin by the precious blood of Jesus. We no longer are held accountable to that. It has been released. What we do deserve, we're not going to get. Instead, we're going to get mercy because of Jesus. And then lastly, most importantly, grace. Grace from God because we have been given eternal life in the family of God. We deserved eternal death separated from God But in his grace, he has given us eternal life with him. Grace. That is the whole message of Galatians, friends. That we can boast in the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. Boast in the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Praise the Lord for that. You want to boast in something, church? Church? You want want to glory in that, that Jesus Christ has rescued us, and that we get to live in the grace of God. So let's go back to that opening question. What am I boasting in? It's okay to boast. In fact, we're all going to boast from time to time. The question is, what am I boasting what is most important? What am I glorying in? In my life? And friends, I, I don't know where everyone's at today. I, I see some new faces. I see some of you I know, some of you I don't. Here's the, here's the deal. This is the most important question you will ever answer. Because this question will determine where you spend eternity. It's all right here. If you're boasting in yourself, if you're boasting in your good works, if you're boasting in your religious acts and the things that you've done for God, if you're boasting in your ability to save yourself, and I'm not trying to be mean or harsh or judgmental this morning, I'm just trying to be honest with you. If that's what you're boasting in, your eternity is going to be full of despair and agony as you're separated from God in a place of suffering and death. But will boast in Jesus. If you'll put your faith in Christ alone for salvation through His perfect blood, covering your sins and cleaning you and making you right with God, then you can have an eternity that's filled with joy and peace and grace in the presence of Almighty God. But you have to make the decision. What are you going to boast in? Are you going to boast in the cross? Are you going to Give glory to Jesus instead of yourself? Will you receive his grace? What are you boasting in today? Stand with me. And let's pray.